Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. The Gospels are getting longer and it's a little muscle memory to get you ready for Palm Sunday. So uh, just kind of getting you kind of ready to go, so prepping you a little bit. So every week they get a little bit longer. The church is merciful, doesn't do it out of nowhere, but we're getting there. A Samaritan woman goes to a well at noon. You and I think, well, that's nice. But a woman only went to a well at noon because she wanted to avoid everyone else. Because to go early in the morning was to be around a lot of people. And to be around a lot of people for her was to hear all the gossiping about her. She was embarrassed and suffering because she had a story, as they say. She had done things in her life that were getting to be well known and she wasn't proud of them. And so she said, you know what, I'm going to avoid the whole thing. And as a desert person, I'm going to walk in the hottest part of the day to get the water. So she goes alone, no one's around. She feels self and contained and secure. How? In her own coping mechanisms. Life is fine. I figured out a way where I don't have to deal with anything. I'm just going to get water at noon and go home to this man I'm living with and all will be fine. I don't have to deal with any of the mockering and the harsh words of people talking about my past. That's that. I'm fine. Mind you, as she tries to take care of herself, she's walking in the middle of the desert at noon to get water. It's miserable. And she's alone. So life is hard. She's lonely. And she bumps into this man who she knows is Jewish, And he begins to talk to her. As this man talks to her, she's kind of captivated by him because she's speaking at one level and she can tell he's speaking to her at a level she's not really normally used to. What what are you saying? What is this, living water? He says, may I have a drink? What are you, you're a Jew and you're talking to me and you don't even have a bucket and what what are you talking about? He says, you know, if you could see, if you understood who I was, you'd ask me for water and I would quench your thirst in such a way that you wouldn't have to keep coming back here. See, she's starting to get it because she goes, give me that water. Pope Benedict, commenting right on this passage, right at this point, says, She's thirsting for true life. The life that every one of us is looking for. The life that every one of us needs and hopes for and desires. Jesus, this man that broke into her life unexpectedly at this well. By the way, he met her in the heart of her shame at the hot day in the middle of nowhere in her loneliness. That's where he showed up. And he just engages with her. The kindness of his heart, the warmth of his words, 
awakens in her this depth of biological water into what we might say is water for the heart. She was aware of thirst for water, and he moved her to the thirst of her heart. She says, I want this. The first thing we need to recognize is the mystery that we're looking for, the kind of life that we're all seeking, that we can't really always explain, but we really want, and it seems to slip through our fingers at times, but there are moments where we go, this is life. That mystery takes on a human face, and we call it Jesus. So rather than being some sort of right theological answer or some religion class you grew up in or out of a nice little prayer book, all decent ways to learn about him, but they tend to fail us, who Jesus is in his very person is the life we're seeking. That's why he awakens in people such wonder. That's why people are amazed and afraid all at once. What's it like to be around him? It means parts of you start rumbling and awakening. This woman, those parts of her, she thought she walled off and just sacrificed it. Well, I don't get life to the full. I've made mistakes, that's that. I'll just try to make the best of it. And now, here's this man. She doesn't have the theological language to say he's the incarnate God or the only begotten one or the second one of the Most High Trinity. She doesn't have any of that yet. She's just a guy talking to her and awakening in her, getting her back in touch with her thirst for life, true life. Yes, I want it, I want it, give me that. And he says, all right, go get your husband. And you can imagine, like if we're putting ourselves in her shoes, it's at that point you're like, oh, great, well, so close. You know, I, was, I thought you wouldn't ask about that part. I thought maybe I could, you know, pull one over on you. She's like, I don't have a husband. And he tells her about all the things that at her time and in her place in the world were the very reasons why she had to be at that well at noon. He began to explain to her all the things in her life that made her feel insecure Bad, not enough, hopeless, powerless, inadequate, a reason why no one should really believe in her and hope in her. He told her to her. He said, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five. And now the man you're with isn't your husband. Now, any one of us having someone tell us the worst things we've ever done, we either want to beat them up and silence them or we want to run away. But for her, it was with great joy. Because she heard in his words her sins told to her by Jesus. They were not a reason to be condemned or rejected, but they were places where she felt loved and cared for and understood. This is the difference between Jesus and anyone else in our lives who tries to tell us what we do wrong. When other people tell us things we do wrong and point it out, it's usually they win and we lose. But when Jesus does it, it's offered with understanding and such kindness. 
that it opens up in us a willingness to surrender or repent. Or say, I don't, yeah, yeah, get, yes, I don't like any of that. You're right, I did all those things. But in your words, in your eyes, in your heart, Jesus, I'm safe. You aren't even like a mom or dad who try their best but get mad and seem to convey to me that if, unless I'm perfect, I'm not enough. You are you. And no one's like you, Jesus. And so with great joy, the life she was looking for that Jesus wants to offer her, he has to bring up all the things in her life she's done wrong because he wants her to know there's no such thing as cheap grace. My life, my love, Jesus says, is offered right in your sinfulness. Not pretending it's not there, not rationalizing it, but right where you're struggling is where I want to offer you my life and my love. There's no endorsing of sin here and making it okay. This is not what is Jesus going to do about our sins. This is how does Jesus treat a sinner with immense kindness and a power to set us free? He said, you know this desire I got you in touch with that I want to fulfill? He's like, I want to have all of you with me. Your whole story, all the chapters of regret, all the places of fear, all the times where you felt shame, all the things you wish you didn't do, all the things in you that make you say things like, if you knew me the way I knew me, you'd hate me the way I hate me. Those are the very places, Jesus, I have to have them to be a part of our story. Because I need to show you the amount of power I have to actually restore you. My love, Jesus says, has to touch a place in you that is very real. So what's the result? Her feeling entitled and haughty and I'm fine, I'm good. No, freedom. Notice the very townspeople she was avoiding, she now runs to them. The very people she was afraid to be around because she's like, they know me and they're good, they keep rejecting me. Her announcement to all of them is, I met a man who's told me everything I've done. You kind of want to be like, yeah, we all were telling you everything you've done. <laughs> so what's so different about this guy? Exactly. What's so different about this guy? This guy is Jesus. And he's the almighty God in the flesh. And his almightiness is on display most when we see how he treats us in our weaknesses and sins. He's not against us. He's for us. He's not searching to destroy. He's here to save. And so she found the freedom of forgiveness. And was able to let everyone know, come and meet him. And they did. And in the end they said, we've come to believe in him, not because of her anymore, but because we spent time with him. And we saw that through him is the life we've all been seeking. In his eyes and in his person and the way he treats us, turns out that's everything we've been looking for. This is the Gospel of John. What we'll hear later on is this described by Jesus himself. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. 
I am the life. I'm the way to the fulfillment of your desires. I'm the truth of the life you're really seeking, and I am that life. Come to me, he'll say. Draw near. Let's be friends. Same gospel, John chapter 10, verse 10. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. This is why there's things like the sacrament of confession, why we say, Lord, have mercy constantly at every Mass. It's not because we're looking to beat ourselves down and we'll never be enough. My gosh, what's with the sin talk? Get something else. It's because those are the very places in us, whether small or big, that Jesus wants to show us how powerful his love is and how nothing, nothing diminishes us in his eyes. That same man who sat at the well turned out to be the Son of God. And he rose from the dead and fills all times and all places with that gracious presence. And today, you're the chosen. You're the ones who get to pray to him, worship him, and above all, get touched by him. You get to receive him in the Eucharist so that like her, you could go out into the world with great joy and say, I know what you're looking for. Amen.